Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation. The 13th chapter. And I think we've said enough about the first ten verses. Concerning the beast that is a political power and that has an empire. And it's the revived Roman Empire. And we'd have to go back and study the book of Daniel in prophecy to bring that up to date. And study those four different uh, nations that have come and gone through the ages. Babylon, Medo-Persia, and uh, Greece, and then the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire ceased to be in 476 A.D., the fall of Rome. And here in the book of Revelation, we're going to find that Rome is going to be revived. And she takes on a character like all the other nations plus herself. In other words, there's an amalgamation of all those nations, a little characteristic of each and every one she'll bring with her. So, anyway, so much said for that in verses 1 through 10. And we said in verse 10 that uh, here's the patience and faith of the saints because verse 10 speaks of the final destruction of that uh, great... uh, Nation with uh, seven heads, seven forms of government, and ten horns, ten kings. So it'll be a union of, of kingdoms under the head of Rome or the Roman Empire, revived Roman Empire. From all I can study in prophecy, that's what it uh, stems out to be. And I might say this that this first beast, Revelation 13, verse 1, some claim that that is the Antichrist. And I'm not going to argue whether that one is or the one in verse 11 is. I really believe the one in verse 11 is the Antichrist and the false prophet both. Because the one is a political power and the other is a religious power. And this in verse 11 is a religious power and therefore I believe he's the Antichrist. Because you don't find the religious aspect of the first beast that rises up out of the sea of nations. The first is a Gentile. In fact, let me give you some some differences between... We'll pick up with verse 11 in just a moment. But some differences between... This second beast is not an empire with a great leader, but a person. In verse 11. Let me read in verse 11, then we'll come back and show some differences. And then go ahead and expound the remainder of this chapter. And try to get into chapter 14. So in verse 11 it says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And some say that means the land or the land of Palestine. And it says, And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. He is later on, and I'll give you the references in a moment, called the false prophet. Now, if Jesus is the true prophet, and this one is the false prophet, Jesus is the true Christ, then this must be the Antichrist. So I don't have any problem with that. And about half of your expositors, pretty solid expositors, are split down the middle as to which one of these. And as I say, I'm not going to argue about it, but I believe this second one is the Antichrist. But I want to go back and show you uh, the differences between these two. Just give you some statements. This second beast is not an empire, as we said, uh, with a great leader, but a person. Now, we know there was a great leader and a person over that empire. The first beast is out of the sea. The second is out of the land. The first has ten horns. The second has two. Right here in this one. 
So we're comparing verses 1 and 11. Verse 1 and 11. The first and the second is verse 1, the first. Verse 11 is the second. Two beasts here in this 13th chapter. And uh, the beast out of the sea comes first. The political power, political head. And the other beast follows him. The first beast is a political power. The second is a religious leader. The first is a Gentile power. And its head is a Gentile. And the second is a Jew. Now, we really believe that. And we gave you a scripture in Daniel. Let me read that scripture again in Daniel chapter 11. Where it says, neither in verse 37, the whole passage is good. It tells of the marvels he'll do in verse 36. But verse 37 says, Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. Now then, the God of his fathers, this would relate to the Jewish uh, genealogy and the Jewish background. uh, And that is very definitely, that scripture and that prophecy is very definitely pointed to this second beast that rises up out of the land. So we see that he would be a... Jew. And I believe there are many reasons that we could believe he is a Jew. Otherwise, the Jews would not accept him. Can you imagine the Jews accepting a Gentile as their Messiah? Not hardly. So, I don't think you'll find that. So, the, uh, the second, the first beast is a, is a, a Gentile and, and uh, its head is a Gentile. The second is a Jew. The first beast has satanic power. And so has the second. They both have satanic power. The second beast induces the worship of the first one, whose dominion is over the empire, uh, the entire Roman world after the whole earth wanders. And the sphere of the second beast is Palestine. And this first beast, through its head, makes in the beginning of the seven years, we say beginning way, way back in chapter 6, the seven year tribulation period, this one makes a covenant with many of the Jews. But in the middle of the week, or the uh, middle of the seven years, Daniel calls it a week. And that's why I said the middle of the week. Daniel 9, verse 27. He breaks that covenant. And that covenant will probably be permission to uh, the Jews to build and restore uh, and resume their sacrificial worship, uh, rebuild the temple. Now, the first and the second beast make a covenant which marks the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. There's a space of time in Daniel's prophecies between the 69th and 70th week. That's the period of time we're living in now. It's a day and age of grace. And it doesn't have any determined amount of time. That's why these fellows have set a time as to Christ's coming. And when this week begins in the book of Revelation, the tribulation begins, do not have a leg to stand on because there's an unnumbered amount of time in it. Undescribed amount of time between the 69th week, and it tells you about that in the book of Daniel when Christ was killed, and then the, when the tribulation comes. So there's a space. We're living in that day and age of grace. We don't know how long it'll last. I hope it lasts a long time for the sake of, of all who need to believe on the Lord. But we don't know how long it'll last. We know things are shaping up to a terrible uh, end at this particular time. So, anyway, in the middle of the week, uh, this beast breaks a covenant with the, with, the, uh, with the Jews. 
that he's made the covenant with. Now I'm going to try my best to simplify some things in a verse by verse. I do better trying to give you verse by verse than I do trying to give you the whole history of it. So I'll trust that this will work. Verse 11. Let's read it again. We'll go verse by verse now and keep your eyes on the book. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. That's what we've been talking about. This is the second one. And uh, a lot of times when earth is mentioned, land is in view. And it doesn't mean the whole earth. It means the land or the earth or the land of Palestine. And he had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. So this is uh, the two horns are imitation of the priestly and kingly authority of Christ. He is a counterfeit lamb. And we find that he's, he's an imitation of Christ, so he would be the Antichrist. We're later on told that he is the false prophet. Look in, I want to give you three verses right on over here in Revelation and just turn to them and keep this one in mind. Keep this beast in mind. Okay? Revelation 16, verse 13. 16, verse 13. Notice what it says here. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, and out of the mouth of the beast, that's the political beast, the first one, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, that's the second beast, the personal antichrist. Turn over again to Revelation 19, verse 20. 19, verse 20. It says, and the beast was taken. You have 19, verse 20. And the beast was taken. That's the first one. 13, 1. Revelation 13, 1. And uh, was taken. And with him the false prophet. That's the second beast of Revelation 13. That wrought miracles before him. How do we know that he is the false prophet? We'll get to that in a moment. Let's continue to read verse 20. Look at it. The false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both, these both, these two beasts were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now then, to identify this false prophet that we said it does identify, turn back in the context. Revelation 13, at the very next verse, will uh, identify the next two or three verses. So, you have Revelation 13, verse 11. That's the one we're talking about that speaks like a dragon. Verse 12 says, And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them that which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed, so that Roman Empire revived. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. By the way, he's trying to imitate those two faithful witnesses. Back, Remember those that had power in chapter 11 to make fire come down from heaven when we discussed the likenesses of Moses and Elijah? So here, this one has the power to do that. Now look at verse 14. It says, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles. Now, this is very important. Look at it carefully. Which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Notice that statement. 
which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. We said this is the false prophet, didn't we? Look back again in that scripture I gave you in Revelation uh, chapter uh, uh, 19. You still have it? Turn over to 19 verse 20. Keep that thought. He had power to do those miracles in the sight of that first beast. Let's read verse 20 again. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles. See that? He's the one that wrought miracles before him which, with which he had deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that had worshipped his image. So he's the one that wrought the miracles. Who is it? The second beast. The false prophet. The Antichrist. Now, is that clear enough? Do you begin to see that? I'm trying to unconfuse everyone's mind here, if I can I realize this is hard to study. But you see, here we have evidence that the one that wrought the miracles before the other beast is called the false prophet. I mean, without a shadow of doubt. Now, it doesn't say he's called the Antichrist. And it, by the way, none of them say that either one of them is called the Antichrist, by the way. If you'll notice that. Now then, at the end of the millennium, and I want to give you the third reference in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. Revelation 20, verse 10. Look at that one. Just turn over a page. This is after the millennium, after the thousand year reign, and they meet their doom. In fact, two of them had already met their doom before the thousand years. But it says in verse 10, look at, I want you to circle three words here. Devil, beast, false prophet. Here's the three. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. They were already there. Now, when did they go there? That scripture we gave you. Drop back to uh, to chapter 19, verse 20 again. The same verse that we've been studying. So it's 19, 20 and 20, verse 10. Now, look at this. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he had deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that had worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And after chapter 20, down to verse 10, after the millennium, then the devil is cast in there where they are, where the beast and the false prophet are. You see that? That's 20 verse 10. After the millennium, the devil that deceived them. See, the devil is another personage. And he's the one that gives power to these two beasts. And he meets his doom after the millennium. Now, we can get into reasons why later on because there's many ramifications of what takes place after chapter 19 and through chapter 20. But all I wanted you to see is that, first of all, this second beast is classified as the false prophet. And this second beast of Revelation 13 we're talking about in the context of our message, our passage of Scripture, the second one is called the false prophet. The second one is cast into the lake of fire with the first one before the millennium 
begins. That's in Revelation 19. We gave you the scripture where he was identified. And then after the millennium, the devil will finally be cast in with them after his last attempt to deceive people. Now, I hope that makes it a little bit clearer. So back in chapter 13, and we'll try to hurry along. And verse 13, He doeth great wonders, so that's the miracles, so that He maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them. Now just hold your place there, and I'll try not to, to chase you around too many places with references. In the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which He had power to do in the sight of the beast. That's in the sight of the first one. Saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. And we said that's the revived Roman Empire and the emperor of that empire. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. This Antichrist, this miracle worker, this false prophet, had power to give life to the image of the beast. Remember back in the Old Testament uh, how that one king made a, an image for all the Hebrew children to bow down to and worship in the plain of Dura? And the three Hebrew children says, we will not bow down and worship that image, though you cast us into the fiery furnace. And they said, our God is able to deliver us, but if not, I like that, if not. If not, we will not bow down. You know, a lot of people say, well, if God will deliver me, well, if I'm sure God will deliver me, I'll stand up for my conviction. But what if He doesn't? They said, if He doesn't, we still won't bow down to your image. And so that's the kind of conviction people need to have. I love that. If not, if God doesn't choose to do what we want Him to do, and for our comfort and our benefit and our deliverance, we'll still not worship the the false God and the Antichrist and the image. Now then, look at this. You have Revelation 13. Look at verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So your life will be in danger. Their lives will during the tribulation period. Thank God that you and I and all all the saints of this day and age of grace won't even be there. We'll be with the Lord when all this is taking place. Someone said, well, I I just don't want to take the mark of the beast. You don't have to recognize that. Until uh, you look at it from heaven's glory. And it's true that things may shape up to where it looks like that's going to happen. But uh, in verse 16, And He causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. Now God has His people sealed in their foreheads too. We read of a great number of people that have the seal of God in their foreheads. But anyway, what we want to do is try to conclude this now. And no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. All commerce will be controlled by the beast during that time. By the political power and all this uh, amalgamation of government power. uh, The ten... Uh, horns or the ten kings and the seven heads or seven forms of government. You know, we've got different things taking place now where 
governments are together and nations are together. In fact, how many nations are in the NATO? 23 or 25 or something like that? Does anyone remember the exact number? I think it's about 20 some odd nations. I believe it's 25, but be that as it may, they're uh, waging a, con- a, a, a bombing campaign right now over in uh, Kosovo. Uh, right or wrong, I'm not saying, but the what I wanted to see show you is the unity of certain nations when they get together and how they they get together for either good or evil. And these will be together. This one that we're talking about here in Revelation 13 will be together for evil purposes. Now then, uh, they will control all commerce. And then verse 18 says, here's the wisdom, here's the wisdom, is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score and six. Now we've had so much talk about six, six, six. They say it comes out on your computer. By the way, it's used in mathematics a lot too. It just happens to be a number that uh, that uh, people run across a lot. But every time you see 666, are you going to give it a, a significance as an evil? The best song we have, one of the best songs in our songbooks, number 666, isn't it? But we don't mean that we're going to skip 666 just because it has a number that coincides with this. Seven is a complete number, a perfect number in the Bible. And six is an incomplete, or it's man's number, you might say. And here you might say what is really indicated is fallen humanity filled with pride and defying God. That's what it represents, at least that much. And... uh, It signifies man's day and man's defiance of God and Satan's power behind man's defiance of God. So you have all these kind of speculations. And for for years and years, even from World War I until now, someone had Hitler as as the beast, you know, and some of them had uh, uh, Mussolini, They had Hirito. They had all these various names. You could call out uh, great uh, leaders or dictators of an evil sort. And they say that's who it is. Well, it wasn't those. And I don't believe we name a man here. It is of a man. And it is defined of God. And it's under Satan's power. And it's evil. And here you see it in its culmination where it's the very worst it can be. Pretty bad nowadays, isn't it? But it'll be the very worst it can be. Now then, in chapter 14, in chapter 14, I want you to look at it. And I want to give you a kind of a division of this as we go. First of all, in verses 1 through 5, you have the Lamb and 144,000 on Mount Zion. So you might say the Lamb and 144,000. In verses 1 through 5. Okay? Verses 6 and 7, you have the proclamation of the everlasting gospel. And you can glance at these verses as you go. Verse 8, you have Babylon is fallen. Verse 8. Verses 9 through 11, you have the eternal wrath for the worshipers of the beast. See, God has 
wrath for those who worship the beast. The beast, the beast has wrath for those who do not. We just read that, didn't we? The beast has wrath for those who do not worship it. And the Lord is going to have wrath for those who do worship the beast. That's verses 9 through 11. Verses 12 through 13 refers especially to those who die in the Lord, die as martyrs at that time. We'll find about blessed are those who die in the Lord. Now this, verses 14 through 20 is the last division. This is the harvest and the vintage. The harvest of, we might say, of vengeance upon the ungodly. That's verses 14 through 20. I'll give you that again quickly if you want it. There are five things. The Lamb and the 144,000, that's on Mount Zion, uh, verses 1 through 5. We'll give you verse by verse in a moment. Verses 6 and 7, the proclamation of the everlasting gospel. Verse 8, Babylon is fallen. We'll have a lot to say about that. Verses 9 through 11, the eternal wrath for the worshipers of the beast. Verses 12 and 13, we said those that die in the Lord, as mentioned here, uh, applies especially to those that die as martyrs at that particular time. Those that die in the Lord now are blessed, but that Scripture is referring to those martyrs of that time. Verses 14 through 20, the harvest and the vintage. And this is the, uh, you might say it's a day of vengeance, and we'll get into that as we progress along. Now then. Quickly, let's look at chapter 14, verse 1. And verses 1 through 5 will be what we're talking about here. Let let me read verses 1 through 5, and then we'll come back. I think it will give us a clearer understanding. Verses 1 through 5, we'll read it. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty and four thousand, having his Father's name written in their foreheads. You see, God has His name, and He has His seal too, doesn't He? And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts. Now, these four beasts here, remember we said way back there, the living creatures, these are good We're not talking about evil aspect of beasts here. Before the four beasts and the elders, we were introduced to those in chapter 4 and 5. And we uh, identified these four as living creatures. Remember? Along with the 24 elders. Chapters 4 and 5. So these, when you read beasts every time, it doesn't mean bad. Those two we read of in Revelation 13, the previous chapter, are bad and evil. These four beasts are really, should be read, four living creatures. They're heavenly creatures. They're of God's circle in heaven. And so these four beasts and the elders, representative of the redeemed, and it says they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts. And the elders. So these 144,000 are singing their new song, their song of redemption. And it says, And no man could learn that song but the 144,000, which were what? Redeemed from the earth. So they're in heaven. 
Verse 4, These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever He goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Now then, all of these, verses 1 through 5 especially, uh, fully reveal what takes place over in the 19th chapter. And it's the 19th chapter is right here anticipated. All of this, this will not happen to these 144,000. Their glory and the glory of those martyred saints, the first fruits unto God, will not really be fulfilled or complete until Christ comes. So this is an, in anticipation of what happens in 19th chapter when Christ comes back and judges. And then the 20th chapter, uh, this glory in the millennium will begin to take place. So this is in anticipation. Though John speaks of it now and tells you about it now. In fact, we'll find other things that are anticipation. Because Babylon, in verse 8, is spoken of as fallen. But you read the next few chapters and it says Babylon is fallen. There will come a time that Babylon is fallen. And we'll talk about what evil that represents at another point in time. So what we're saying here, don't say this happens in chapter 14 and then what happens in chapter 19 is another incident altogether. This is anticipating the culmination of some of these things that will later on be culminated or fulfilled. And what is, what is anticipated? The glory of this 144,000, and by the way, this is the same 144,000 that were sealed back in Revelation chapter 7. Remember we, wrote, we said they were sealed? This is that Jewish remnant that was sealed. Then we have another company that are called harpers. These are the martyrs of that uh, tribulation period that will be playing on their harps when the time does come. But it's not here yet. All of this is anticipating that future. And that's what we have to get on our heads. Remember, I remarked a long time ago that all of this is not in chronological order as such, but you'll have several things that are stated that will not be complete until the end. Remember when that the that old devil, that accuser of the brethren we spoke of in the 12th chapter is cast down and his angels and he receives judgment, but it'll be finally complete. We gave you a verse, the last place we gave you the verse in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10 where it says the devil that deceived them. Okay, that's where he really meets his end. But you're spoken. he's spoken of in chapter after chapter of the evil he does and, and God's power over him. And what will really finally happen to him will be in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. After the millennial reign. This won't happen here for these 144,000 until the millennium. Until Christ comes. It all anticipates the coming of Christ. So what you're seeing here is all of these things are stated uh, that will happen. And they will ultimately be fulfilled. But don't say that right now you're seeing the 144,000 in glory 
Well, you're seeing them, but they're not yet there until Christ comes. And we have not come across Revelation 19 where Christ comes yet. It'll all happen in due time. Am I getting it a little bit more confused or unconfused? Are you following me okay? Okay, I'm, I'm trying to make this as plain as I can, though I realize it's difficult. So, uh, and by the way, if you'll notice in verse, let's go back and read it again. And then we'll try to give you verse by verse down to verse 5. And I looked and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion. The lamb is Christ. Mount Zion is the heavenly uh, Zion that he's talking about. There's an earthly Zion, but this is the heavenly Zion. And with him, 144,000. They're with him. Having his Father's name written in their foreheads. They've been sealed. They were sealed back in Revelation chapter 7, were they not? The same sealed company. Verse 2 says, And I heard a voice from the heaven, as the voice of many waters and the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. Now, we believe these harpers are the martyred company uh, that are seen under the fifth seal. And then the others, it includes the others that will be martyred during the tribulation period. And now their brethren which were slain in the great tribulation will be seen with them. Let's get this picture now of the harpers, of the martyrs of the tribulation period. Remember, turn back to chapter 6, and, if you will. Chapter 6, and the fifth seals in verse 9. Look at chapter 6, verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, that's in heaven, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. This, these are tribulation saints, martyred, killed, and taken up to heaven. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord? Holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? They were ready for God to do it right then. Aren't we as people anxious for God to do something? God says, never mind, wait a while. Don't pay any attention to that. That thing will keep on blowing. Verse 11. And white robes were given unto every one of them. You see that? So that's symbolical of their righteousness in heaven. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season. Just be Calm. Just be patient. You're in the presence of God. These that were martyred. These that were killed. Until, here's the word, the key word, until their fellow servants also that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So you see, all of these martyrs of the tribulation, both those that were under the altar and the ones that would be killed in the future are going to be seen in heaven Around the elders and around the... Back to 14 verse 3 now. Follow me. 14 verse 3. Well, verse 2 says, And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps, and they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne. We said that these harpers are the martyred company seen under the altar that we've just been reading to you. And it also includes the future martyrs. Because they're going to be there too when this tribulation's over, this seven year period is over. And they're going to be there. So it says, uh, and they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the uh, four beasts. Now remember the 
New song is a song of redemption. Now, this song of redemption is the song of redemption for the sealed company and for the martyred saints. We saw the redeemed of this day and age of grace in chapter 4 and 5, there in the presence of God, signified by the 24 elders, singing the song of redemption. Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. So we're going to be singing the redemption song earlier than this. Seven years before these are. Because we're going to be raptured and caught up to be with the Lord uh, in the context of Revelation, the fourth chapter, verse 1, when John is caught up symbolically and is symbolical of the saints and you see the throne in heaven, you see the redeemed around the throne, you see them singing song of redemption. But these martyred saints of the tribulation, though they're redeemed by blood too, they're not going to sing this song of redemption until the end of the tribulation period. <clears throat> when they're all gathered together, and when they all will be able to sing that song of redemption because the time will be ripe and ready for them to do that. So, look at verse 3. I mean verse 4. These are they which were not defiled. We find that they did not defile themselves with corruption or idolatries. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. It speaks of their purity, basically. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. These were redeemed. See all these things. It says these, these, these. Circle these are they. These are they. And these were redeemed. You see, it keeps on describing some characteristics of them. They're not defiled. They follow the Lamb. They were redeemed from among men. Now look at the last statement in verse 4. <coughs> Being the firstfruits unto God and the Lamb. And to the Lamb. Someone said, well, the firstfruits, that's you and I. These were the firstfruits of the tribulation. The firstfruit saints of the tribulation. Excuse me. You and I are also called first fruits. And uh, all those that have a part in the first resurrection are first fruits as well. But these are first fruits of the tribulation. Uh, let me give you a scripture. Uh, look in, let me just read for you. 1 Corinthians 15, <clears throat> verse 20. Through, through 22, through 23. Okay? Verse, this is a very important passage. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 23. It says, But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Christ was the first one resurrected, right? The firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of, the first fruits has to do with what? Resurrection, doesn't it? Of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But now listen to verse 23. But every man in his own order, in his own order of time, Christ the first fruits. now look, this statement, afterward they that are Christ that is coming. Afterward what? They that are Christ that is coming. So these will also be a part of the first fruits of the resurrection. And when you get over to the 20th chapter, when it's talking about 
the first resurrection. It says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. And it speaks not only of the redeemed, you and I. It speaks of those that are redeemed out of the tribulation period. And it also includes these people that gave their lives and were killed. So, it's more than just one group that makes up the first fruits or the first resurrection. And so we have to see it in the view of the future. Back in Revelation 14 now quickly, and we'll try to get this unraveled for you. Look at verse 14 again. These, last part of the, uh, I mean, chapter 14, verse 4 again. I'm, I beg your pardon. Verse 4, last verse, part of the verse. These were redeemed from among men being the first fruits unto God and unto the Lamb, and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So they're the first fruits of the tribulation saints, both of the hundred and forty four thousand, all of the martyrs that are taken there. All that die during the tribulation period make up the first fruits of the tribulation period. You and I will be the first fruits of this day and age of grace when Christ comes before the tribulation for His own. And that's what we call the rapture. Uh, the word means uh, when it says we shall be taken up or caught up to meet the Lord in there. That means we will be taken up or caught up and we use we come to a Greek word that means raptured or taken up. And that's going to happen before this tribulation happens that we're studying here. So the hope that you and I have is not to escape the mark of the beast. The hope that you and I have is the hope of Christ coming as He has promised to take us out before this terrible judgment comes upon the earth. Upon an ungodly world. And that is the blessed hope. And we're looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us. Paul says that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And he says, comfort one another with these words. Now, there wouldn't be much comfort if we were to go into a tribulation period and be afraid that we was going to be killed because we uh, refused the mark of the beast, would it? That wouldn't be a whole lot of comfort. I would be kind of scared of it. But thank God there's hope for God's people. Our time is getting away, but I think those first five verses now, it's very important that you get in on the next lesson because we'll begin to develop this chapter and we'll see that not only the good things for these saints are anticipated, but the bad judgment upon Babylon, the, the bad things about the wrath of God and when the when His judgment will take place, is also going to be mentioned and anticipated, by the way, that it will happen. So this is a great chapter on anticipating the culmination of both good things for the saints of God and the people of God and evil things for Babylon and for the